Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right, welcome to part two of my interview with Tim Whitaker and the New Evangelicals. We're going to get right into it. I've been doing a lot of my own work and like learning and waking up and whatever. I don't talk about a lot of this stuff in my public platform. So I think my audience might be like, what? It's like, hey, there are some ideals, there's some values, there's some practices, there's stuff historically that is still playing out right now that people are perpetuating either because they maliciously want to keep it or because they don't realize what where their motivation is coming from, right? And we would probably argue most of the moral majority is like not aware of the harm that the ideologies they're upholding are actually causing to people who aren't that. I think that that the average white evangelical, right, isn't aware of some of the maliciousness behind these words, right? But the people who are leading this stuff, these mega church pastors, the Charlie Kirks of the world, um, the Jerry Falwells of the world, right, they absolutely know what they're doing. And the fact that they're able to whip up these people to do this stuff is certainly concerning. And there are definitely pastors out there who aren't popular, who know what they're doing, and also other, you know, other lay people. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think the average evangelical is like, Oh, I hope black people stay oppressed, right? I don't think that that's what they're saying, but they don't realize that the people and policies that they advocate for actually keep those systems in place. At what point does ignorance not get you any further? Like, at, at what point is that no longer an excuse, right? Because here's the thing, we can't tell people that we have the absolute truth of God and we can tell them how not to go to hell forever, right? And then claim ignorance when it comes to other stuff. Like, we're already making huge truth claims, right? Evangelicals make massive truth claims. We know the divine being of the universe that spoke the world into existence in six little days for some of them, right? And we also know how to never burn in hell because hell's a, a, a guaranteed thing where you will burn there forever. But we know we have a secret knowledge, right? Based on how we interpret the Bible to, to get you out of that, to get you to the place of the good life. So those are some massive truth claims, so we can't claim like, oh, we know the truth and then claim ignorance when we have access to actual historical truths that, that really put us on the hook for accountability and repentance. It's not that I think that those people are lying. I just don't buy the argument anymore for, a good, for an excuse to be, to be soft with them. Oh, mm -hmm. you're right. You're ignorant. No, that's not an excuse anymore. Read a book. You know, <laughs> we have access to more information than ever. Like it's on you to know this stuff. From your perspective and your journey, you're like, hey, it's actually not acceptable to not know this stuff and to continue to be complicit. There's enough available that you're actually willfully choosing not to address a problem that's persistent. I, I think so. And listen, I understand life is life. I mean, my, my wife, right? We have a 19 month old. We're, we're, we're due in March number two. She is not someone who's thinking about things in, the, in these categories, right? Like she's thinking about how to raise a 19 month old and giving birth in a few months. And But 
that doesn't mean that that she is not aware of the evangelical history, right? Or or or, or how how we've treated certain people groups. So I, I would say that yeah, I would say overall, like if you attend, if you identify as an evangelical and as a born again Christian, you are automatically putting yourself in a place that says you better know what you're talking about if you're going to make these truth claims and start proselytizing to people. Just getting them out of hell or your view of hell. There's more to life than that. And you have to start owning the very problematic systems that have produced the version of you that believes that you have to tell people that, you know, if they don't, if they don't pray their prayer, they're going to burn in hell forever. Like you have to take responsibility at some point. Yeah. I listen. I agree. For sure. <laughs> I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at someone out there, you know, no, I love it. I love the passion. I mean, I don't want to hear someone talking about this that isn't convicted and doesn't feel passionately about it. I think we need to, you know, experience these things being articulated in a way that someone is convicted and moving. So I would love to hear just for the people who are listening, the two things you said that I'm like, oh, I wonder how they're going to hear that, which is awesome. I'm having a heyday over here. This is great. Based on the ignorance you're calling out and saying this is actually unacceptable at this point, where would you point people if they're like, okay, fine, Tim, you know what? You're right. I have been ignorant. I've been lazy. I've been intimidated. I've been afraid. I've been a coward. I don't want to keep living like that. I don't know what to do. Where would you point them to start? Well, if you're going to talk about, about anti-racist work, I think an easy read is Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise, okay? It's an easy read that is a brief historical overview of racism in America that will probably make you weep as it should, that I think is a great, you know, dip your toe in the water. Just have, have some awareness. If we're talking about queer inclusion, you know, David Gushy's book, um, Changing Our Minds, is a really easy read on, on how he, uh, David Gushy, who's a leading ethicist in Christian circles, changed his mind, right, from, from not affirming to affirming. Uh, if we're talking about theology, I'm a massive fan of the Bible Project podcast. The, those guys have changed my, my life forever regarding how I see the Bible and how I interact with it. And I mean, there's a, you can be there forever just in their content alone. We live in a time where we have this, this thing in our pocket right? That's like four inches by five inches long that, that connects to any topic within maybe two or three Google searches, right? Instantly. It does not take much work to start somewhere. Best books on anti-racism, you will find them. Pick the first one and start going through it. You know, how do I understand theology differently? Ask Google. This is not, I don't want to sound harsh. I understand that it's overwhelming. I get that right? We live in the information age. There's almost too much information now, right? And misinformation. I totally understand that. If someone wants a really easy place to start, if, and this is self-promoting, but, but whatever, go to our Instagram at the New Evangelicals, tap on our resource highlight, and you'll get books and podcasts and videos on almost any topic you need, and you can start on any one of them. And that Brilliant. might be a great place to start. Brilliant. Hey, listen, while we're on that subject, I would love for you to promote every and every, all the things. <laughs> what resources, like what you just described, what kinds of things do you have available for people to get to jump into your conversation, into your world, the things you're putting out there? Where would you tell them to go? What, what's available? Yeah, well, our Instagram is like our front door. That's where a lot of our reels are. A lot of our stories are. All of our highlights are there. We're on TikTok because we have to be cool now and hip. You know, it's part of the culture. I'm just selling my soul. Um, but <laughs> honestly, like I love the podcast. We just, we, that's where long form conversation happens. And that's where I'm the interviewer, right? So I'm the person asking the questions. And honestly, I've been, I've been totally privileged to have some of the most amazing guests on the podcast who in my view, are just heavyweights. Um, one person I just interviewed recently, Jessica Malati Rivera, who's a leading epidemiologist on COVID. Like ha she was one of the first people to get the message in the US about COVID coming to the US. You know, we talked about vaccines and, and masking and why it matters. So our podcast is really wide, all different kinds of topics on there. So for someone who's interested in kind of doing that more long form conversation, I would probably point them in that direction. For people in this conversation who are listening, 
who when you say critical race theory, hmm. some of them might just already black out and just be like, oh, I can't listen to this guy. If he's sure. not condemning critical race theory, then I already feel threatened. What would you say to someone like that on that subject? Well, I have to tread carefully because this is not my expertise. I fully admit that. Um, if you want a great four-part series on that, there's a great, oh my God, I love this guy, Nathan Cartagena. He did a four-part series on the Gravity Leadership Podcast on what is critical race theory. He's a Christian scholar. He's a philosopher. He is brilliant. I've had him on the show. His, but I actually have in front of me uh, Derek Bell, who's the founder of Critical Race Theory. His book is called Silent Covenants, which I've been kind of working my, my way through. Here's my understanding of critical race theory. And again, I want to really preface, I am not the leading authority on this topic. So please take my words with a grain of salt. I could be wrong on some stuff. I fully admit that. Okay, I'm not here to convince you of, of A, B, or C. But the reality is this, and this, this I do know, critical race theory is simply a legal theory in academic circles about how racism can persist despite the law being quote unquote colorblind. Okay, like for example, Derek Bell, one of his his books that I'm, I'm reading, Silent Covenants, talks about how the Brown v. Board of Education decision, aka to desegregate the schools, right, was not implemented for a long time. And, and, and even though on the books looked a certain way, the reality was that even today, America's schools are still pretty segregated. I mean, that's just a reality. So he's, he's asking the question of how do laws and racism interact? Maybe a law might say, hey, the schools should be desegregated, for example. But if the result 50 years later is that we're not integrated, then did the law really accomplish its purpose, right? That's the question. And then it also asked, well, how is racism still finding its way to keep things segregated? So that's just one example. The problem is this, the, here's the reality. White evangelicals love a boogeyman. Fox News loves a boogeyman. Conservatives love a boogeyman. And this is well documented. I'm blanking on the guy. Oh, Christopher Rufo. Look up the name Christopher Rufo. He is the person who took critical race theory and made it what it is today into this catch-all phrase for anything that is anti-racist. That is not what people are talking about. Christopher Rufo has even said on Twitter that he intentionally took critical race theory and turned it into what it is to scare people to death to get the vote out for Trump and for Republicans. This is the playbook. So when you hear- What's his last name? Christopher Rufo, R-U-F-F-O. Critical race theory is not this boogeyman that people make it out to be. And honestly, again, the more American history you read, the more you see this is just how it goes. Martin Luther King Jr. was a commie, according to his, his opponents, right? We obviously know he wasn't, all right? Marxism, socialism, CRT, it's all these boogeymans that, that don't exist. And what they do is, especially in the church, they keep the white evangelical church looking for the imaginary threat outside while real threats persist and grow inside. That's why you don't hear people talking about, in large part, especially popular evangelical leaders, Christian nationalism. That word's not on the tip of their tongue, but there is a lot of talk about critical race theory. Why? Well, one is an outside threat that in their mind wants to destroy their church, and the other one is on the inside, and they're not really that concerned about it. So we have to understand that. So critical race theory is not you know, the boogeyman that maybe Tucker Carlson makes it out to be. Coming from the background that you do and all that, what is your take and experience on the subject of the supernatural? We're talking like Pentecostal speaking in tongues, fire tunnels. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'd say those are like really specific denominational forms of people trying to relate to and make sense of what they perceive as yeah. a supernatural, right? But I'm just curious about, yeah, your perspective and take on all of that. Oh, man, that's a great question. 
Maybe more like demons, angels, the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Heaven, hell, like the gifts of the spirit, right? Yeah. The Bible, the biblical authors have a worldview based on what I can tell that is very enchanted. The stars are the heavenly hosts. God, you know, there are, there is a, there, the spirits are there kind of thing. We know now that stars are ball, balls of gases, but the, the authors didn't know that at the time, right? And for them, you know, there, there's no word spiritual in the Bible because spirit is the word breath. So for them, your physical breath is a sign of the spirit. It's a very, it's a very intertwined world. The physical and supernatural don't exist how we as modern naturalists see them. We're like, okay, this is just our normal world. And in some other dimension, there is the spiritual world. That's just not how the biblical authors tend to see the world. How the Bible might frame some of this stuff versus like how I wrestle with it is different. It'd be convenient for me to say, oh, well, the Bible's clear. I just follow whatever the Bible says. But the Bible talks about this stuff in some pretty weird terms. You know, I mean, the heavenly host, the the, the divine council, um, even the, the reality to blow people's minds that the term God is just a title in the Bible. Okay, so God doesn't always refer to Yahweh or to, you know, or, or, or a specific type of God. And if you listen to the Bible Project, they have a whole series on this about how the Bible talks about like smaller G gods in really weird ways that blow all of our categories. So for me, you know, how do we interact? How do we mentally um, paint a picture of this divine thing that we're trying to interact with? I don't know. I don't have an answer anymore, right? I don't have categories anymore because certainly if there is a being at the center of the universe who is all powerful, that being can break through into our dimension whenever they want to, but they tend not to, you know, in miraculous ways very often. Uh, that's what makes a miracle a miracle. I do struggle with the Pentecostalism, the supernatural healing, the we, we need to move of God ideology in modern circles. And let, let me give you kind of my overview briefly, if you don't mind. In the Bible, God, this, this being God, 95% of the time uses humans on earth to accomplish good and really their purposes, okay? Like human beings are the, are the Imago Dei reflected in a physical embodiment, right? That are really designed, in my view, to, to partner with the divine to co-rule, right, the world together. That's like the, the garden narrative from what I, how I understand it now. What I'm afraid of is that in our modern evangelical culture, we've so supernaturalized God that we will spend hours praying for God to do a miracle in our town. And God's like, I have you there. You are the answer to your own prayers. Please get out of your building and start feeding the poor. Please get out of your building and start being part of that change that you want me to magically do it with my imaginary hand. So when we sing songs about God of revival, right? And like, won't you pour out on this city? It's like, well, what if God's like, hello, I did, you're there, go do it. So I'm finding this really weird dichotomy between people who will get in massive gatherings during COVID by 65,000 people or more, have these intense worship events, these sugar rushes that I call them, begging God to work, right? Begging him, like, God, do a miracle. And God's like, there are 65,000 of you currently assembled during a pandemic. Why don't you get out of there, right? And start loving the city that, that and maybe the homeless that you just walked past. So that's how I see it now, right? I'm starting to merge in my head, like, what if the responsibility is on humans set up by this divine being to be the heaven on earth that we so desperately are trying to see? Nice, love it. Okay, How's that? cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs>
<laughs> so I'm curious then as well, when you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation today, you mentioned Jesus a couple of times. So like yeah. people want to keep Jesus even in the midst of the construction or whatever else. Should they just assume what they would for any other Christian, what Jesus means to you in the midst of all this? Or is there a more nuance to it than that for you? Well, I, I, I would definitely affirm the, 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 deity of Jesus, part of the Trinity. I'm, I'm pretty orthodox in, in that sense. You know, I, I don't think Jesus was, was not God. I, I affirm very historical creeds in, in that way. I think that, that a literal resurrection of Jesus actually happened. I know that sounds crazy. It, I think it's crazy still, but I still hold to that. And I do believe that ultimately all things, the cosmos are reconciled through the person of Jesus. Okay. I mean, even Christian universalism would argue that while maybe all at some point are redeemed, it all happens through the person of Christ. However, Again, we have to understand that Christ has been interpreted throughout all different kinds of cultures, including our cultural moment, right? So like Second Amendment loving, gun-toting, hate the gays Jesus, right? That version of Jesus must die and never resurrect. <laughs> I'm all about killing that version of Jesus, right? But maybe the Jesus that, I don't know, in Matthew 25 is like, hey, if you're not taking care of the poor, you're, you're in danger of serious judgment. Maybe we should resurrect that Jesus and let that really fuel how we start fighting for the liberation of all. As Jesus said in Luke, right? He came to, he came to set the captive free. He's liberation. I, in one sense, I'm like, what, what is the real Jesus, right? But in the other sense, I do hold to the orthodox view of that whoever the historical Jesus was and what he taught through the gospel accounts that we have, understanding that obviously there's some things that we can talk about there. You know, I do affirm that, that, that a bodily resurrection happened. I do affirm that it was God incarnate walking among us. And I do affirm that ultimately all things are reconciled both in creation and both through humanity through the person of Jesus. However, I do think that the Jesus I was taught about, the one I inherited, is, is a complete caricature idol, really, that has, has done way more harm than good and uh, needs, needs to be re-crucified and stay up there, honestly. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I'm putting it blunt, bro, but that's the reality, you know, like that, that version can go. So we've got this whole like heavenly hosts. Oh, they're talking about the stars and they think those are spiritual bodies when actually they're, you know, and then we're talking about Jesus raising from the dead. Sure. Both we would categorize as being supernatural, right? Or yeah. Yeah. why would you choose one and reject the other? What's going on in your thought process? Yeah, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I'm still working through that, like okay. full transparency. You know, okay. I, I don't claim to have all the answers to make everything buttoned up neat. Uh, one thing I think about though, is that I think one of the problems we, we run into in, the, in our Western categories is that we read the same, we read the Bible with the same voice. So we read Genesis the same way we read the gospel accounts. They were not written by the same people in the same cultural moment with the same purpose. <laughs> completely different everything you know i mean genesis one is really you know the hebrew way of telling their origin story in in, in a whole competition of other origin stories right uh and if you read some of the babylonian stuff which i have not i've listened to people who have you know when, when they when they show like babylon's origin story there's a lot of overlap and also differences right so that that's a whole different purpose than maybe luke saying now i want to faithfully tell you what 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 happened right and also why is luke telling this version of events obviously all four gospel accounts don't line up historically um you know in that sense but that's not really a problem once you understand that i don't know maybe a hebrew doesn't tell history how a westerner does right like we're fascinated with with with, with our modern categories what is absolutely true in the scientific sense how has historically how has history actually happened in the historical sense that is not the mind of matthew mark luke or john they all have their own agendas and they're very honest about that i mean matthew paints jesus as a new moses 
I mean, you can see the whole the whole arc narrative happening. You can see all that happening. The 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 temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, 40, 40 days, forty nights. Sound familiar, right? They're obviously drawing on maybe events that happened, but they're adding their flair to it, and they're all doing that. So once you get into that mindset, I do admit it becomes a little more murky of like, well, okay, what is fact versus fiction? But it does seem like even in, in Paul really emphasizes how the bodily resurrection is really key to, to the theology that, that, that Paul is unpacking in the epistles, right? Um, both of, of Jesus being raised again and also of us one day being resurrected. So what do I do with that as far as, you know, what Paul is saying and truly believes? Still working through that, but as of now, I still hold in some really weird way the bodily resurrection of all people, including those who were cremated. I don't know. I don't know. Right? Like these are real questions that we have to we have to wrestle with. But I think because I have lost so much of my fundamentalism, I'm really okay saying, Yeah, man, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. And I'm okay with a little bit of tension with that. You know, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That that helps me a lot. Yeah, totally. Nice. What does the the term, the idea, the practice, the experience of church mean to you now based on everything that you're explaining? Well, I mean, I think it's important to realize that that there is the church and then there's the institution. Okay. The church is the ecclesia. It's the gathering. It's existed since the, since the church was born after Christ. And it will continue to go on probably for a long time, in my view, for as long as the earth exists. And what makes it so powerful is that it's so adaptable and it's really centered on Jesus and loving neighbor. I mean, that's what it is historically. However, the institution is what we map onto the church and that can come and go. I mean, you know, how the church organized in Paul's day is different than, in, you know, with the Catholic church, with Constantine, different than the Reformation. So like, like this whole mega church complex, that can go, that can totally be destroyed and the church will keep going. We just don't understand in our, in our mind, this is all we know. So this must be the only thing that 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 church truly is, right? Mm. I would say my big critique, and this gets to answer your question, is that the modern evangelical industrial complex, like the Bethels of the world, the modern church culture of the world, by and large, is centered on the event. We're centered on a Sunday morning event, right? Which, if you're Elevation Church, is a legitimate professional multi-million dollar production every single Sunday that requires volunteers, a lot of money, a lot of preparation, a killer sermon every single Sunday. And that's where a lot of your resources are poured into. Then out of that is where you have your community groups, maybe serving your town every now and then, right? I think we have to flip that. I think that the center of what we do must be a center of community, meaning people who are willing right? To spend time with each other intentionally, loving each other well and loving their neighbor well. The problem with that though, honestly, is that people don't want that. And here's what I mean. People romanticize community. People romanticize friendships. People romanticize that, oh, if we just get in a circle, everyone's made in my image. We're going to get along great, right? And then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, Mike has some, he has a weird mustache, you know? Well, well, Tim talks too much, you know? Right? Honestly, right? And then all of a sudden you have these frictions and then people don't want to put in the hard work of working past that. Plus, don't forget, a lot of us have been, have experienced unhealthy accountability, right? A lot of us, it's not just a matter of, hey, you offended me. Here's how, you, here's how you can make it better. It's, oh, you're wrong. I want to control your life in the name of accountability now, right? So we're all, all, we're all over the place. So that's how I envision a rethinking of our church structure, but that would come at a real cost, which is it's, it's a time cost. It's an effort cost. It's prioritizing certain relationships over other relationships. It's dealing with people who really annoy you right? And working past that, it's not easy, but it's, it's true. And I think honestly, in the age of comfort and easy, 
right? In, in the age of, oh, I can just go show up and have a haze machine in my face and be all energized and go home. That's a lot easier. It fits to a nice little hour bubble than, oh, I have to see these people on a Monday, maybe a Tuesday, and maybe think about if I go to Target, inviting someone to come with me as a friend, uh, too much work, too much work. So that's where I think we kind of are right now. You know, I, I think a lot of us just want friends. <laughs> I want friends, Mike, you know, like I lost my friends because I turns out we were on totally different places. Uh, we, were, we were on different levels of what connected us. Right. And I think a lot of us are like, can we just have friends in our life? And that ties back into COVID that there's a lot of, other, there's a lot of other elements here, right? That that's our individual society, right? It's lonely for, for the way our culture set up. It just is. And we're not used to commitment um, in healthy ways. I want to stress, I want to stress that if, you, if you're in a bad relationship, I'm not saying you, you should stay there. I'm just saying we're not used to working through the quirks that we all have and we all have. So I, I don't have a great answer for that yet, because the reality is no matter what we do, we're going to structure something. I mean, humans are structured. Everything we do has a system attached to it. Not necessarily a bad thing. Thank God when someone builds my house, there's a structure and a system that they follow that builds my house, right? So I know it's safe for my family to live in. Thank God for that. So it's not that that institutions or structures are inherently corrupt or bad, but if there's humans involved, we have to be really aware that it's easily corruptible. And I think in the evangelical institution, we're just seeing how corrupted it is and that we need to kind of start over, which happens. The resets happen. Every 500 years or so, the church tends to reform. So we're due. The last one was in the 1500s. And guess what? In 500 years from now, whatever we're saying, People might really pick apart, right? And that's part of life. I, I'm not. I'm not going to pretend that I have some guru answers mm -hmm. that are going to bring heaven to earth in the way I want right now. But can I try and give a little bit of that? Can I try and give just a little glimpse of that, right? Can we try and do something to give people a taste of what it could be like to live in healthy, life-giving relationships with each other that are not abusive or misogynistic or racist or homophobic? Can we try, <laughs> even if we don't always get it right? That's the goal, I think. I'm curious on the Tim side of life. You said you have a wife with you have a 19 year a 19 month old, yeah, and then another baby on the way. How is Sarah in the midst of all this? Is she like go baby? Is she involved? Is she just more like? keep to herself and like listen to you and over dinner or like how does what's her how does she participate in all this there's a reason why i'm talking so much mike you know <laughs> my wife you know she really supports the work that we do which thank god because i don't make much money doing this you know like we just started raising funds i do this work full time it's a shoestring budget we don't know how our next paycheck is going to work out so certainly she would have to have i would have to have her support to do this work i mean honestly and she does she doesn't think about this stuff the same way i do She's more mystic these days. She's more, you know, yeah, she's more into, you know, astrology and things that for me, sometimes I'm still like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But, you know, when you're in a marriage, like you have to make room for each other. And we do. She makes room for me. I make room for her. I don't think she's always like, oh, tell me about what Mark Driscoll said today. Like she doesn't really care about that. Mm -hmm. Right. But we certainly have good conversations. Like what's our future? How do we raise our son? Well, mm -hmm. how do we raise our son to learn about God in a non-traumatizing way? Right. Mm -hmm. Like those are the questions that we're asking. Yeah. She's fully behind the work. All right. That concludes part two of my interview with Tim and the new evangelicals. I just love this conversation. Love what Tim's bringing to the table. A lot of wrestling, right? Some of this stuff is like scary to have to face and like wonder about. I want to just make sure you guys know about my group called Ashes. It is a deconstruction space for people to ask the big scary questions, to face the toxic theology that most of us were raised with in the evangelical church and start cleaning up some of the things that we've believed or lived out that are actually harmful to other people that are not in the heart of God. If that's work you need to do and things that you need to work through and being a part 
part of a group of other people who are going through this would be helpful for you, I would highly encourage you to check out Ashes. The link is provided below. As well, make sure you follow Tim and the New Evangelicals and all the spaces that they're producing content. You guys want to get involved in this conversation, I promise. It's worthwhile, even if you're just like being challenged. That's like, you want to be engaged in this conversation. We have so much cleaning up to do as the body of Christ. And I love what Tim is heading up and the work that he's bringing to this space. Take advantage of what they're doing. We've provided links below for them as well. See you guys next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.